0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Fancy Throwdown Podcast. I know folks have been asking me what the big plan is uh, for episode 300. And to be honest, I really didn't put too much stock into it, really. I just wanted to keep it business as usual. But I can't think of a better story about the show in general than what happened yesterday in the UFC uh, 267 pay-per-view where you have a 42-year-old Glover Teixeira basically at the end of his career. I mean, realistically, if he did not win yesterday in his title fight against Jan Blachowicz for the light heavyweight strap, he very well could have retired because Glover had worked himself back into title contention over a span of, I didn't realize it was this long ago. But his title match against John Jones was over seven years ago. I honestly could not believe it was that long ago that it was UFC 172 uh, back in April uh, 26, 2014 was his uh, unanimous decision loss to John Jones. I couldn't believe it was that long ago. Honestly, it did not seem that long ago, but that's that's how crazy life is sometimes Uh, because we've seen Glover be just this dominant guy uh, from uh, originally being like Chuck Liddell's training partner, everyone, uh, everyone waiting for him to try to uh, come over to the United States uh, from Brazil. And, you know, you see him progress to the point where he's a title contender. He loses to John Jones. He then loses his rebound fight against, uh, Phil Davis, uh, and what, what I remember that fight, uh, like Davis just basically smothered him with wrestling, didn't do anything, but technically he got the takedown. So he won the match. Uh, and then, you know, he builds himself back up. He gets a couple of wins, uh, most notably over Rashad Evans, then gets just dropped by Anthony rumble Johnson. I mean, that fight lasted less than 15 seconds. Because uh, I remember the punch he landed on Glover that just dr- destroyed him because Glover was in in line to try to get another title shot and, and Rumble got it instead by just just rocking uh, Glover with that punch. And then you kind of say to yourself, man, I, I this might like, where does Glover go from here? Because it was. Uh, it was a uh, rumble got his rematch against um uh Cormier at the, at the time, uh, uh, for the belt. But if uh Glover had won that match, he would have fought Cormier, like that was the eliminator fight. And then you know, Glover basically becomes and and that and that match of Rumble, and like, this is how crazy this is. That match against Rumble was over five years ago. Like, I honestly, it doesn't seem that long ago in sports, but realistically, yeah, you start like, like, as I start piecing this all together, it's crazy. I hadn't even started a podcast yet when Glover was like a mainstay in the UFC, but you know, from that point on, Glover eventually becomes kind of like an upper gatekeeper guy in a division He lost to Gustafsson. He had a bad loss to Corey Anderson. Uh, And then, you know, after the Anderson loss, he just goes on this. uh, (laughs) He goes on this. uh, uh, Yeah, it was a five fight winning streak, you know, just kind of being a gatekeeper. And realistically, Glover got this title shot because Jan Blahovic won the belt. There was really no one exciting in the division that Dana wanted to match him up with. So that's why you got uh, Blahovich versus Israel Adesanya. And I told folks this. Adesanya is a middleweight. Blahovic is a light heavyweight. People thought Izzy was going to win that fight just because of his striking alone. And Blahovic is a very good striker. And uh, uh got the win. And it was the first, like, this was, like, the first fight in, like, ten fights where Blahovich was the actual favorite. Like, Blahovich had, like, not been the favorite in uh, pretty much any of his fights. And he gets this matchup against Glover because, listen, we love Glover. But Glover is 42 years old. I mean, you don't want to say guy is past his prime, but realistically, Glover is past his prime. I, I mean, it, it, it's it's kind of it's kind of crazy, just going about it. But I did not see the win condition for Glover other than Blahovic making a mistake, which he did because Glover smartly, uh, and I'm going to get to the point. Glover smartly used his knowledge uh, as a fighter to his advantage uh, to pull off that win because realistically. Blahovic just needed to maintain proper distance with Glover. Do not let Glover get, uh, get ahead, get his hands on him to try to drag him down to the mat because Glover is still an expert in Brazilian jujitsu. And that was his win condition. If he could get the fight to the mat and make life incredibly difficult for Blachowicz and beyond Jan- basically gave him the perfect game script because in round one, uh, he opened himself early. Glover took him down, held him down, kind of wore on him. And then, uh, so he gave away round one. And then in round two, Jan, again, knowing that he already lost the round, started getting even more aggressive. And Glover again, seized on the moment and got another opportunity to take him down. And, you know, Blahovich. Uh, got hit and rocked a bit, but Blahovic still still committed to try to get the submission on Glover, which I, I couldn't believe he tried a Kimura attempt on Glover of all people. And Glover made sure this time, uh, it, when he got him on the ground, he could get, get him in the spot to f- finish him, and he flattened him out. But where I'm going with this story is, and I know we're a couple of minutes into the show, you know, Glover basically spelled it out this way it was 20 years of work that led to that fight like all the setbacks that he had everything that has gone uh did not work out in his favor the guy kept working because realistically you look at his fight resume he has just been grinding like in an era of fighting where you know guys take time off year uh like a uh, years up like glover basically has stayed active for his entire ufc career which goes back to uh, uh 2012 like we've been watching him for almost 10 years in the ufc well uh, uh almost 10 years in the ufc just fight at least uh twice a year it, like you look at his fight resume you say to yourself man i don't remember it being that long because he's always there." He's always there and he's always working. And you know, the one thing that Glover uh, kind of said and I, I, you know kind of stuck with me, like it's it's always hokey, but it's like never let anyone tell you uh, uh, tell you what you can and can't do, because at the end of the day, uh, he, what he what he was saying is, you know, someone will always try to tell you no that you can't do it and drag you down, and don't listen to them. You, uh, you can accomplish what you want to put your mind to if uh, if you're willing to put the work in, and so you know I I couldn't think of a better intro to that uh, for episode 300 than that a guy who just kept working working working, uh and got uh got the biggest uh biggest uh, achievement of his career, to me that I mean it was beautiful I lost <laughs> like truth be told I was. I I had locked in Blahovic because I know Glover's chin is not the best, so I knew if Jan got hold of him at his price point for DFS purposes, I was on Blahovic. I did not bet Blahovic as the favorite. I did play him for DFS purposes because the the price on Blahovic was cheap enough on DraftKings that if you got the knockout with the roster construction, I was in line to win a couple grand easily, easily. And I just thought the win condition for Glover was so slim that it it just did not, the the valuation just did not make sense from a DFS perspective. But man, I, I can't tell you how happy I am to lose money over a fight because to me, Glover's one of those guys where you just see the work being put in and the message is true. You know, if you told me four plus years ago when I started doing this podcast that I would still be Recording episodes now and heading into episode 300 and still going strong and uh, still got a lot uh, more left to say because I I see and hear idiotic takes all the time, which drives me crazy. But it also kind of gives me fuel to actually keep going uh, and doing this uh, for uh, longer because, you know, it, it just doesn't change it doesn't change. Like sports is wonderful. You learn so much about uh, yourself and uh, (laughs) like what people, people deem to be uh, uh, things that uh, can and should happen. And I'll be honest, I did not give Glover uh, enough respect in terms of what he can and can't do uh, fighting wise. Uh, I I probably should have given him a little bit more respect from a DFS perspective uh thought process wise but man i i am so happy to lose money <laughs> over something like that because to me it's a beautiful story it really is uh, you know a guy worked his ass off uh, and you know after many many years in trials and tribulations got got to uh, the finish line and yeah he's gonna fight for another uh he's gonna make another fight he's gonna do a title defense and maybe maybe he he does not uh win against yuri uh and i'm going to butcher his last name proschaska uh i always butcher it but it doesn't matter like <laughs> glover got to the he got he got the belt he got the strap all that work he got there and to me that's what uh it, you know sometimes it's not even like the destination it's the journey like you, no one can ever discount what Glover did to get there. Like, do you can't question that, that man's run over the years and like the guys he fought over the years, uh, in, in terms of what he did, he, he more than earned that strap. I, I, I don't care what anyone says, uh, that, that, you know, that to me, that one was beautiful. So, uh, without much further ado, we're going to get into, uh, the NFL, uh, slate today. Uh, I have some thoughts on the World Series as well, but uh, I'll be I'll be short and sweet with my World Series thoughts thus far. I am happy to see the Astros struggling as much as they are, because I am getting sick and tired of folks. And I talked about this before. Everyone keeps saying that the Astros are validated getting back to the World Series, and I keep asking folks, "What do you mean they're validated? They they." You know them to be cheaters. You don't know if they're cheating right now or not. Or trying to cheat. Because once you start cheating once, it's just easier for you to go back to doing the same bad habits. You may not get caught, but you're tr- you're actively thinking and trying to do other stuff to gain an advantage. So I, I don't understand how you can say you're validated when you don't admit to any wrongdoing whatsoever. It, it-, it is utterly bizarre to me how anyone could view the Astros as a redemption story given the fact that they have shown no iota of remorse whatsoever and none of those players ever got punished. The manager got fired, but the manager seemed to be the only guy who tried to do something to stop them, but realized it was futile and then kind of shrugged the shoulders and gave up. So A.J. Hinch lost his job, but nobody else did outside of the GM who was complicit in it as well. It's actually bizarre how the media kind of twists stories around. And then the other media story is everyone now complaining about the Atlanta Braves chop, which again, has always been offensive. <laughs> it, 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 it's like, I, I, I feel as though folks just want to grasp at straws at this point because we know uh, the the Atlanta Braves chop is offensive. What's more offensive is the Braves moving their stadium to the suburbs and making sure that the access to the stadium is so wholly in, uh, uh, in to, uh, some of the, uh, less affluent areas of Atlanta, shall we say to make sure that the ballpark is mostly filled with, uh, not uh, with white people, but uh, well, uh, let's just call it what it is, because anyone who's done any sort of research on Atlanta knows that transportation system and where they uh, put that stadium in Gwinnett County was, in fact, intended, and they've even said this publicly to have less uh minority representation at that stadium. It was. It's actually been uh, documented. So, to me, that's even more of a story than the chop at this point. The chop's easy to call out. It's a lot easy, it's a lot harder to do the in-depth uh, analysis of how the Braves were able to move their stadium, having publicly noted on record that they didn't want people traveling to their stadium that weren't local to the suburbs of Atlanta, which is less diverse than other parts of Atlanta, while still maintaining that, like, they love Hank Aaron. Uh, you know, I, I just love the hypocrisy, but hey, you know, it is what it is, but we'll, we'll get into, uh, where I think the rest of the series is gonna go, uh, because, uh, Atlanta, uh, went, uh, went up 3-1 in the series, uh, with another game tonight, which could be the series clincher, but, uh, I'll, I'll try to hit that, uh, later on today with my, uh, uh, slate breakdown for DFS, uh, just cause I haven't been doing it, able to do a ton of content during the week while baseball has been on, but without much further ado, let's get into football. And, you know, a lot of teams are off, uh, today, uh, for the main slate. You don't have a lot of high powered offenses. So it today is going to be a very interesting slate to kind of Uh, pick apart, but we're, we're gonna, we're gonna be able to find uh, some avenues of approach here, in my opinion, because uh, I still think there's uh, avenues of being successful here. It's just, we gotta be a little bit more deliberate in terms of how we're uh, putting together our squads. But uh, all in all, I still like where uh, I've been able to get to uh, in terms of my construction thus far. For the week. But uh uh, first up we got two teams that (laughs) are in (laughs) uh very interesting crossroads right now between Carolina and Atlanta. Atlanta, two and a half point favorites at home. Again, very curious line because usually you're at home, you should just get the three. Someone thinks Carolina can win this game. I'm very curious about this one because to me. Carolina's been in the tailspin. Sam Darnold is basically on his last legs because even if he wins this game, because of how badly he lost that game to the Giants, and believe me, Sam Darnold cost his team that game against the Giants uh, last week. Don't don't make any mistakes about it. The Giants played hard, but realistically, that was a loss on Sam Darnold because Darnold, I mean, he was he he was on the struggle bus he was absolutely on the struggle bus trying to uh, maneuver that offense and i don't know i don't know if you can come back from that uh at this point i think carolina is very much uh if miami can't pull the trigger on the deshaun watson trade you're going to see deshaun watson uh, cuz the trade deadline is tuesday you're going to see deshaun watson in a carolina panthers uniform next week if Miami doesn't pull the trigger at this point. But, you know, Carolina, it's the same story. You don't have Christian McCaffrey. Sam Darnold's struggling throwing the ball. The pass protection hasn't been great. But Sam Darnold is still struggling on locating receivers, which doesn't make any sense because he should have a rapport with Robbie Anderson. DJ Moore still doing his thing. Like this is just Darnold. Uh, I, I'm sorry, and like, and I was trying to be as optimistic on Darnold, like, because I really liked the situation he was coming into, but he's just struggling reading reading the field. Because I watched that game. I mean, you know me as a Giants fan, I gotta watch. I still have to watch the team play. Like the the Giants didn't do anything fancy. Darnold was just not very quick at making the proper reads. To execute the offense it's just that simple so when it comes right down to it he's their biggest liability because if he's not seeing the read he's not getting the ball out quickly enough and letting those receivers uh do their work in space and i don't i don't know how you can fix that right now i i i don't i don't think it's fixable right now with uh with the situation being what it is. So it, <laughs> I, 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 as much as I'm remiss to actually give <laughs> like a, a given edge to Matt Ryan of all people. Uh, yeah, this, this very much comes across as a, uh, a Falcons team that should win the game. Now, with that being said, the Falcons, butcher games all the time like like without fail so to me this is like kind of one of those stay away uh, bet spots because yeah atlanta should win this game but we know atlanta uh to shoot themselves in the foot repeatedly and on the flip side you know when it comes to atlanta if we're talking just from an x's and o's standpoint matt ryan is dust He's completely dust. So I, I I really don't like any of the pieces of this game, to be perfectly blunt. Uh, and there is, like, talk that uh, Calvin Ridley wants to get traded, and I, I don't know. <laughs> Something about this game just tells me to stay away, but that price on Russell Gage keeps pulling me in at 4200 on DraftKings. I don't know. I I just I'm just not enamored with this game, but it's just there's just too much uh, wrong with uh, with both of these teams that actually feel good about any any of it. But uh, I I would just take Atlanta and just kind of move on from there. Moving on, we got uh, the Bengals traveling to the Meadowlands to play the Jets. Cincy's nine and a half point favorites, oh, man. The, the Jets are the Jets are bad, but they they play hard. They play hard. I just don't see how the Jets actually cover this game. I I really struggle to see Cincy not winning this one by ten. We're going to come to some other games where I could see maybe you can make an argument that the line's too big but for the Jets uh, I mean you got a backup QB and Mike White you, you just I don't like the weapons I don't think they really mesh well I, I just I don't see anything here other than playing Joe Mixon on the the Bengal side and move on uh, Jamar Chase got priced all the way up to seventy five hundred. I just don't like the pricing on the Bengals this week. Everyone seems a tad too high, and if the Jets were a defense that rolled over, yeah, I could make a case for it. But I, I just, I feel like it's it's trying to chase the performance of the uh, the prior week with uh, playing Burrow and uh, Jamar Chase. I'm not going to say you can't do it. I'm just saying. It just seems l- more limited upside because the Jets are going to prepare themselves to stop that attack. It, it, like they're they're just not they're they're not a pushover type of defense. So I just don't think the Jets could score enough points. That's why I don't think the Jets can uh, be safely covering this. If this was like ten and a half, yeah, I c- I could make a case for the Jets. When it's nine and a half, and you and the the Bengals can win this by ten. I think that's a fair <laughs> fair line. I think this is like had like a 30 uh, a 31-20 kind of game. And that's like being generous to to the Jets like somehow uh getting a turnover and scoring a touchdown. I don't see the Jets getting to 20 points. I can see the Jets uh, defense holding Cincinnati to under 30, but I can't see the Jets getting to 20 points. And that's the problem. It, it's just there's not enough points here. And again, I don't like this from a DFS perspective. You're going to hear this a lot because there's just not, there's not enough points in this game. I, I'm sorry. There's just not. Uh, moving on. Uh, I mean, yeah, you can play Joe Mixon at 6,900. I don't hate it. I'm not enamored with it either. I just don't see a lot of uh, raw points coming out of this slate. So this is going to be one of those weeks where we're scrounging uh, to find a uh, Something that we're going to fall in love with, uh, which I haven't yet. Uh, Even up to now, I still haven't yet. So, uh, we're going to keep moving forward. Uh, We've got uh, the Rams uh, playing the Texans. Uh, Rams are 14.5 point favorites on the road. I mean, here's the deal. Davis Mills should not be an NFL starting QB at all. For some reason, we've got him I I you for reasons that it's like the Texans are trying to take this entire season while not trading Deshaun Watson yet. They keep trying to squeeze every single drop out of this. Uh they're gonna have to trade him before Tuesday. Um but just a bizarre situation. Uh the Rams, you know, They're going to win this game. I mean, this is a very safe survivor pick. Uh, I don't see anything that the Texans are bringing to the table that are going to trouble the Rams. It's just a matter of, you know, is there anything else uh, we can do from a fantasy perspective? I want to play Darrell Henderson. Uh, You know, price tag on DraftKings and FanDuel are very reasonable. Cooper Cup got priced all the way up now. He's 9K on DraftKings. You know he's gonna be expensive, uh, regardless of whichever site you're on. Now it it comes to the point where, you know, uh, you can't say that. You, you can't you can't say that uh, you know. It's a bad play to play Cooper Cup at this point in the fantasy year. The problem is is that. There's just too much going on. Why? I, I mean, the the route trees for uh, the route trees for the Rams are very limited. It's Cooper Cup. It's uh, Robert Woods. It's Van Jefferson. It's Tyler Higby, and then it's Darrell Henderson out of the backfield. That's it. No one else is really playing uh, offensively of uh, uh, for uh, uh, these lineups. So it's just uh it's one of those things where, you know, because it's so concentrated, it's hard to fade the Rams because you know who's playing. So, so someone's going to get the work in this matchup. I'm just going to pick Henderson and Higby and maybe have one um, Cooper Cup lineup and hope that Robert Woods doesn't burn me. But you know, can I honestly say that uh, any of them are a bad play this week? No, because they're they're gonna score points against Houston. I just don't know where it's coming from, but they they're gonna be able to put up points against the Texans defense. So I, I mean, uh, this is a terrible week of games. <laughs> just be perfectly honest. Uh, let's let's keep moving. Uh, Buffalo hosting Miami. Here's the thing. It's going to be windy in Buffalo. It's not going to be raining. I don't know what Dolphins team is going to show up. I don't think this Dolphins team is as bad as their record is. I don't think they're as good as uh, they were last year. If Miami's defense shows up, Buffalo is going to have a tough time covering the 13 and a half point spread. So you can bet the Dolphins as uh, on the spread. I think obviously Buffalo wins, but it depends on what Dolphins team shows up. Like the Dolphins have been so unmotivated this year. I don't know what the issue is going on down there, but realistically, I think they can, they can actually do well here uh, to keep the game close. And by well, I mean, keep the game close. I don't think they're going to win. I'll get to the game. I actually do think you, you could have an upset, but I I don't know what to make of this uh, Dolphins team because Tua just, you know, if Devontae Parker was healthy, maybe things might be better. You, you got to get sick. Like, I just don't see this offense moving with Tua under center, and it's becoming troubling, to say the least, that, you know, he's getting healthier Yet still, they can't move the ball. I don't know what else to make of it other than Tua just doesn't have it. And it's just as simple as that. Realistically, we should have seen more by now. So, the Dolphins could just be a mediocre team still needing to search for another quarterback. They should be in on the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. We are pretty sure they are. Uh... It looks like publicly they're trying to hem and haw to drive down the prices of Deshaun Watson. Honestly, I think they just wasted time. Uh I, I, you know, folks may say that the Dolphins are multiple pieces away. I don't think they're that far off. I just don't, I just think they don't have a motor. Like they don't have a motivation for those guys to play hard because I think most of the people in that locker room look at Tua and see that, Man, we traded Fitzpatrick for this guy. And you're seeing the after effects of it. I think that's the biggest issue with Miami right now. I just don't think that team actually believes into Attack of Iola. So until that situation changes or Tua a either plays better or they trade for Watson, I think this Dolphins team is just gonna meander. On the Bill side, obviously you can play uh uh, Stefan Diggs. Uh, Josh Allen's most expensive QB on the slate at 8,100. The price tag just seems a bit too rich uh, for that amount, I, but again, there's not a whole lot of value on this slate to begin with, so I'm not going to be opposed to saying play Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs together. It's just again, one of those slates where it's like, I could see this backfiring or it could work out well. It, you know, it, the the it's a lot of variants and there's not a whole lot of, uh, matter, uh, matchups that, you know, can say, man, this is where you need to go with the slate. I, I just look at it and say, I think the dolphins put up a fight here. I just don't know if that offense could score enough. Once the bills get going, I, I just don't know. I really, I really struggle, uh, figuring out what this offense offense is because the the running game ain't there and it looks like Tua needs a lot to help support him and I just don't see him being able to drive that offense. It's just as simple as that. Next up, Jalen Hurts and the Eagles travel to Detroit to play the Lions. Uh Eagles three and a half point favorites. Here's the problem. (sighs) Philly's defense isn't any good. Jared Goff blows chunks. Just blows chunks. I know people were waxing poetic about how well he played last week. That's a bunch of bull. The team played hard. Jared Goff took advantage of uh, uh, the the Rams playing man-to-man, and his individual receivers won some matchups here and there. But Goff himself did not do very much in that game, to be perfectly blunt. The thing is, the Eagles should be giving him looks to exploit down the field. It's just that if golf can't execute, Detroit's going to get stomped in this game because Philly is going to be aggressive. Philly is going to be an aggressive defense no matter what. It's just your job as a QB to punish them. If Jarrett Golf cannot punish the Eagles, the Eagles are going to blow them out by probably 20, 20 points. It's, it's really that simple. I think if golf can use TJ Hawkinson and uh, uh, DeAndre Swift out of the backfield because they're going to have good matchups uh, in space uh, to create. I think Detroit can string together multiple drives and put up points on the board. If Jared Goff cannot move the ball and can't make the reads quickly enough, Philly is going to stomp them because as much as I think Jalen Hurts is a terrible QB, he can still move around enough and just that barely bit of being above average uh, in enough attributes to offset the fact that he can't hit the broad side of a barn, you know, he has composure, he can move, he he does not necessarily make the wrong decision, it's just the fact that he can't execute uh, precision passes. But against Detroit, you don't need to be that precise against their defense. It's just a matter of, you know, can you put enough pressure on Philly if you stop, uh, if you stop their uh, their passing? Because Philly can't run the ball. It's all going to be uh, predicated on, and well, actually, I shouldn't say that. I can't say Philly can't run the ball. Philly has not even attempted to run the ball with Miles Sanders. Now, Miles Sanders is injured. We got Boston Scott in there. People are gravitating towards Gainwell. I would say if Philly actually tries to run the ball, it's going to be through Boston Scott, who's dirt cheap on drafting the 4,400. The problem is Philly has shown no inclination that they want to run the ball. So I have no idea what to make of the Philly offense other than Jalen Hurts just having to do it on its own. And doing it on his own, I think Philly basically scores 24 points. And it just comes down to, can Jared Goff move the ball? Like I said, I think Detroit can win this game. But it's all predicated on a Jared Goff not completely sucking. I think if he does an average job, they can win this game. Because Philly is going to give them chances to move the ball and score points. Because Philly is just going to be ultra-aggressive. And there are ways to punish that. But if you have no way of punishing that, you are going to get stopped. So This is one of those games where it's like, I don't want to even want to bet this, but I would not be, I don't think it's the craziest thing in the world to say Detroit can win this game because they absolutely can because of the way Philly plays defensively. It's just that if you have an awful quarterback, Philly can punish you. If you have someone who's actually good, like Dak Prescott, He's going to torch that defense. Jared Goff is awful. So, I, like I said, <laughs> I think Philly wins this game, but it's not one where I would actually feel confident in them if I was playing Survivor Pool. I think that would be one of those danger picks because I think Detroit can actually win this game because Philly's defense isn't good. And Detroit, if golf can actually play Average. Not good, just average. They can put up points, enough points on the board to actually beat Philly at home. So, I don't know. It, it is what it is. Uh, I think this is the game that if Jared Goff flames out in, you can bench him. Because this is the game he should be able to punish a defense given the amount of uh, time he's had in the league. Moving on. Uh. Oh, I, I from a DFS perspective, I talked about this uh, already, but uh, TJ Hawkinson and DeAndre Swift would be options I would go with. Uh, Hawkinson's uh, $5,500. Uh, Swift is 7100 On the Philly side, I don't really like the Philly pieces because Jalen Hurts is priced up this week. I... Yeah, he can put up points. I just don't think he can put up enough points to make me feel warm and fuzzy about it. Uh, Deontay Swift is basically the only piece I'm interested in at uh, 6,500. But yeah, don't don't like this game at all, to be honest. I'm, I'm probably going to be light on it. Uh, moving on. Pittsburgh-Cleveland. Oh, I want to turn the page on this game so quickly from a fantasy perspective. I have no interest outside of Nick Chubb at sixty eight hundred. Everyone else, they can, they can, they can f off. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, uh, there is just no point in playing anyone else in this game. In my opinion, none. You're just, you're just grasping at straws from a fantasy perspective. There's no reason to play anyone else. Um, but Cleveland three and a half point favorites. I'm just, I would just bet uh, Cleveland and move on. Steelers will play hard. They have no offense because uh, against a good defense because Ben cannot throw the ball down the field. I, I will keep saying this. Big Ben cannot push the ball down the field. so against any defense that is halfway decent, which Cleveland does have a good defensive line, their secondary isn't that bad. I I just I don't understand how anyone could actually reasonably say the Steelers have a good shot at winning this game. To me, it's just, it is what it is. Like, Cleveland's a, a decidedly better team right now. That's all there is to it. Next up, Chicago hosting the 49ers. Chicago is three and a half point underdogs. Here's the deal. If Jimmy Garoppolo can't get a win here against a Bears team that is flailing on offense, Jimmy Garoppolo might might as well not board the team flight back home to San Francisco and Trey Lance can just take over for the rest of the year. This to me is, come on, Jimmy. It's like, I don't care if, if George kill isn't playing, there is no reason why the 49ers can't take care of business in this game Cover that three and a half points, Brett. Like this should be a lock game. Justin Fields looks lost running this offense. Now, Matt Nagy is not going to be there because of COVID. It should not matter, in my opinion. I just think, point blank, that this Chicago offense is broken. The passing attack is not in, non-existent. Allen Robinson is having a career-worst year, and it's not his fault. It's just a, a quarterback in over his head in fields. And then even with that, you, Andy Dalton was done. Like, there, there's just... There's no juice on that Chicago team right now. None. So yes, I know Khalil Herbert has run the ball. Well, San Francisco's defensive line should be able to shut that down. And yes, I know the 49ers secondary is in tatters, but until just field shows me, he can throw, he can read coverage and throw. I'm just staying away from this game entirely. I have no interest in anyone in this matchup. Uh, even uh, Khalil Herbert, Yeah, I know people want to play Eli Mitchell. Uh, Hakeem Hicks is supposed to be back for the Bears. I'm not messing with this. I'm I'm just moving on. I'm just saying if the 49ers don't win this game, Jimmy Garoppolo might as well be benched. It just doesn't make any sense if you can't get a win in this matchup. Now, for the actual game that I want to talk about for the DFS slate, Tennessee. <laughs> Uh, traveling to Indy to play the Colts. I think that Carson Wentz should be the number one QB for fantasy uh, this week. Followed closely uh, behind by another QB I'm going to get to. But I think it's just clear as day. Carson Wentz is going to have a matchup that he can take advantage of with uh, the Titans secondary. And just targeting Michael Pittman. Uh, I I think this is just too easy of a matchup. You know, folks may want to just get cute with it and just try to go to other spots. But the matchup basically dictates itself. Tennessee is going to run the ball with Derrick Henry. They're going to try to play action with A.J. Brown. There's no Julio Jones to take away target share from A.J. Brown. So you can take your choice of Henry or Brown. And then you run Carson Wentz with a uh, Pittman and you can also add Moali Cox at the tight end spot. Cause he's only 3,200 and just go from there. Like why are we trying to make this slate harder than it has to be? Yes. Could Ryan Tannehill get there as well? Yes. But if Derrick Henry smashes, then Tannehill's not going to get to the touchdown. So I would say instead of just risking that Tannehill's going to get the touchdown throws, just play Carson Wentz, and then you can play A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry, along with Michael Pittman and Mo'ella Cox. Like there are ways to get to find enough value on this slate that you don't need to actually play uh, uh, these other play, uh, these other plays. I, I just think if you target this game, and the line is at fifty one, this is a low total week for uh, football purposes and for fantasy score going to be low totals like uh, projected across the board. I just think that, you know, just target the game and just run with uh, the guys you know who are going to get action. Yes, we could target the Rams game, but the problem with the Rams game is you don't know who's scoring the points. It could be five guys. With uh, this Titans-Colts game, realistically, the point production is coming from about four dudes. Yes, you could get the random one-off catch, but by and large, the, the bulk of the damage done by each team has been coming from the four guys I mentioned. So why not go there? I'm not worried about T.Y.A. Hilton possibly playing in this game because T.Y. has been more of a decoy this year. It just That's just a fact. So I'm just not going to overthink it. I'm just going to go right ahead with that play. Now, onto the afternoon side of things. We got Washington traveling to Denver. Denver, three-and-a-half-point favorites. Again, I don't understand how... How are people saying that the Broncos are that much better than Washington? This should just be a three-line. I'm taking the Washington side, and I'm just moving on. This game sounds terrible. I <laughs> Washington, while they're not good... We know Denver's not good either. I I just don't really see where we're going to get a ton of points. Yeah, it will come down to can Denver punish Washington's weak secondary. But Denver likes running the ball so much that I don't even know they're going to take advantage of Washington's weakness in the secondary. Washington wants Denver to try to run the ball. Uh, Vic Fangio is one of the worst coaches in the league. I. He may just want to insist that they run the ball. And I think that plays into what Washington wants to happen. So I'm gonna take Washington here. I don't really feel great about the game in general, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna just say that Washington uh, gets a W on the road and just move on. Because from a fantasy perspective, uh you can play Terry McClure, but he got priced up, so he's in the 7k range. You play Cortland Sutton, he's at 6,400 on the Denver side. But outside of that, I I don't have interest in this game. There's no reason to play this game. Next on the docket, we've got New England hosting... Oh, no, New England traveling to L.A. to play the Chargers. Chargers, five-and-a-half-point favorites. I'm never going to say at this point not to play Justin Herbert Uh, with a receiver like Keenan Allen or Mike Williams, but I will always get benefited out to Belichick of coming up with some kind of game plan to slow things down. So it's not that I'm against playing... I'm not against playing uh, Herbert and a receiver. I just... I don't think I'm gonna get there in on the main bill afternoon only. Yeah, we could we could definitely discuss playing Chargers. I don't think I'm gonna get there on my main bill just because I think there's enough ways that New England can slow them down that the upside isn't nearly there. And I have another game in mind for the afternoon slate. I would much rather target. So to me, i I'm, I'm just I'd be looking at uh, I'd be looking at Keenan Allen only and hope that it's not Mike Williams they t- uh, t- like it's either Keenan Allen or Mike Williams. Mike Williams is more expensive. Keenan Allen's uh, 6500. Mike Williams is like 7700 I believe on DraftKings. He's got a really high price tag on DraftKings. It's just that um all in all it, it, it's it's a hard sell. It's a hard sell trying to get there with L.A. because you know Belichick's going to take away one of those guys unless he focuses on Eckler, and even that I I'm not as like enamored with Eckler in this matchup. Like New England's good tacklers, it, it, I don't know. It, it, to me like something about that game just tells me this. Uh, don't try to tempt it. Um, so I, I'm not going there n- realistically uh, I, unless it's afternoon only. Next up, we've got. Jacksonville traveling to Seattle to play uh, the Seahawks. Seahawks, three and a half point favorites. Listen, the Seahawks have a very badly exposed weakness. Uh, it has not been punished enough in recent weeks, but they are just so vulnerable in the secondary to dump off passes. It was coming up again last week as well. Even with all the rain going on uh, and the Saints struggling to move the ball at times, they could still get it done just with short passes against the Seahawks. I think Jacksonville has a chance of winning this game because James Robinson—that that is his game in, in bread and butter is catching those short dump off passes and making things happen. So I look at it and I say to myself, there's a, there's a chance that uh, it could end up backfiring on the Seahawks here where, you know now the season's starting to turn in a very bad direction, and they they really need to find a way to get it done and i I don't know if they can at this point i i think it may the season may be too far gone, even with that defense and urban Meyer making mistakes. I think Jacksonville has enough talent and the the few things that they're good at uh Are receivers catching the ball in space and making defenders miss and running? Seattle is terrible at, so it's just like their greatest weakness is the one area where Jacksonville has actually shown to be pretty decent at. Jacksonville can win this game, so I actually like Jacksonville to cover, and I think they can actually win this game. So the line actually looks pretty good, money line wise for Jacksonville. I'm tempted enough to actually take the Jags on the road, even though I know Urban Meyer's awful. uh, It's actually enticing enough. I would actually contemplate taking the Jags just because, you know, folks are just banking on Seattle uh, getting it done, and I, I, I don't, I don't necessarily see it. Uh, it's like it, it, they could just be, they are what they thought they were, just a bad team, and, and you know, Russell Westbrook. I mean, Russell Wilson wanted out for a reason. He just saw the writing on the wall that this team's window is, has closed. You know, he he got the money, but the problem is, is that you know, I don't think I don't think uh, Seattle's just good enough, and you know, Jags plus one sixty four on the money line. It's not the craziest thing in the world. I'm just saying. It, it, I would like a little bit of fatter line, but it's not the craziest thing in the world. So, we we move on. Uh, we've got the game that I want to talk about the most in the afternoon. Tampa versus uh, versus the Saints. The Saints are four and a half point dogs at home. And I'm going to be blunt. Everyone screws this up every year. And it happens twice a year. I don't understand it. Do not play Mike Evans against the Saints. Period. It doesn't matter if Marshawn Lattimore is in the lineup or not. Do not play Mike Evans against the Saints. Mike Evans has a personal beef with the Saints, specifically Marshawn Lattimore, but it doesn't matter. Because as long as... (laughs) Uh, Mike (laughs) Mike Evans is playing against the Saints, the Saints as a rule, they would rather take a defensive penalty than give Mike Evans a touchdown. So if you look at Mike Evans and his stats against the Saints, they are so drastically different than any other opponent he plays. They are half of what they should be. And the thing of it is, is that he's only averaging about 50 yards a game against the Saints. Compared to everyone else, and he doesn't have nearly about a touchdown. They go out of their way to make sure that Mike Evans cannot beat them. So, from my perspective, if if we're if we're being honest with ourselves, the way to go about this is simply put, you take <laughs> Chris Godwin and you take Leonard Fournette. And you just go with those two options. That's it. <laughs> like someone is going to benefit from all the penalty yardage. Mike Evans is going to draw. So instead of trying to figure out if it's going to be Gronk or like, cause Gronk is supposed to be coming back today. We don't know for sure yet, but it's likely that Gronk's play instead of just trying to play the roulette of who Brady is going to target. We know Mike Evans ain't gonna be the guy, but we do know. We do know that he's gonna drop penalty yardage. So let Mike Evans not get uh, not get anything done, <laughs> like and fail. And you've been warned not to play Mike Evans for fancy purposes. Do not play Mike Evans. Yeah, maybe he gets a touchdown somehow, but they are going to go out of their way. To make sure he cannot score on them, so take the penalty yardage and just let the uh, uh, Brady go over to Uncle Lenny in Leonard Fournette, or target Chris Gallant win in the red zone, or Gronk if Gronk's playing, and have that be your recipe with playing Tampa. But don't play Mike Evans. On the flip side, when it comes to uh, the Saints, we know Tampa's secondary is terrible. You know, <laughs> you know, Alvin Kamara catches the ball in space. Yes, we've got split wide receivers, uh, but the receiving corps for the Saints has been playing better. Marquez Calloway has caught on. Traquan Smith got back uh, last week. Uh, he looked shaky in spots, but they still had uh, a sub-connection with, uh, you still had some connection with uh Jameis, uh and he loves throwing to Trayvon Smith. The, I'm I'm sorry, but it it works out well enough that this Saints passing attack is going to do work against Tampa because Tampa's going to be a, a run funnel where you can't run up the middle. You can run at the sides and up the field, but it's not going to be nearly the same. uh as just throwing the ball into space and letting them run with it, it's just not the same. So instead of uh, treating Kamara as a running back, look at him as basically—you uh, got to look at him as a, as a wide receiver. And he's eight thousand seven hundred, so he's one of the most expensive guys on the slate. But he is essentially a wide receiver that you know is going to get a lot of volume and looks. When they kind of move out in space, so treat it as such. Treat it as not a running back, but a wide receiver who's just going to get eight to ten targets and go from there. Because uh, it's just it, 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 it it's it's pretty cl- uh, cut and dry that the way to beat Tampa is throwing the ball on them, and so you got Marquez Callaway, you got Traquan Smith. You got Kamara and yeah, you could if the De- uh, Deontay Harris is uh, active today, you can play him too, but those guys are going to get a ton of targets. And Jameis is going to throw the ball 40 plus times today. I think Jameis is pretty much the only QB on the slate with a chance at a 400 yard game today. This is a low scoring slate overall from the projections. So to me, the way to attack this slate is to keep going at like the teams with the weakest secondary that are locks uh, to have multiple uh, passing attempts. Just keep chucking on them because I I don't, I don't see the, I don't see where it works out. Otherwise, I, I just think that that's the way you have to go about it. It's just, you know, See, seeing uh seeing where the chips fall but i think the obvious things uh the, the the most obvious thing here is uh tampa uh with uh getting getting yardage through penalties and setting up red zone opportunities for uh godwin and uncle lenny and then on the, the new orleans side when they're playing catch-up they're going to be targeting and splitting out but they're going to have a ton of receptions. I, I just think on DK, the play is Jameis with a couple of pass catchers, and then you run Godwin. Or you can run uh, Fournette as well, depending on how you set up the uh, the running backs. But I, I think it's pretty clear, uh, the play here. So that does it for the main slate. Uh, we have Sunday Night Football with the Cowboys and Vikings. I don't know if I'm going to actually uh, get into... That slate for showdown purposes. Uh, I don't see pricing available yet, but to me, the question always comes down to is Kirk Cousins going to show up in a primetime game? And I don't like playing that game. So to me, I'm just going to probably play lighter on that slate because if Cousins doesn't show up, Dallas takes that game pretty easily. And you're left like holding the bag because you are playing trying to play um you're, you're trying to play uh Thielen and Jefferson and Cousins just doesn't measure up uh, if he's having a bad day. I, I I just I don't know what to expect out of Kirk Cousins, uh, more often than not. So I'd rather not uh play that game. So I'm not gonna do it. We're just I I would rather just uh uh, do, uh, do my little piece of caveat emptor. Don't don't go too crazy. Try try to play the showdown slate tonight because th- this could easily be a Cowboys dominant game, and the Vikings just don't show up. So, you know, I would be more or less playing Dak in the captain, or Zeke in the captain, and just work from there, and not try to get too cute with it because. I've definitely seen this story before where folks just start talking themselves into Kirk cousins. And we know what Kirk cousins is when it comes to primetime games. It's just not, it's not a good look. So not going there. Um, we'll see, we'll see how the the slate works out, but, uh, I'm not going there. So, uh, (laughs) it's just, it's as simple as that. So, uh, that's, uh, that leaves us with my giants and the chiefs. I really don't want to talk about the Giants, so I'm going to leave the episode on a good note and duck out. Uh, We can talk about the Giants tomorrow uh, in what is likely to be a slaughter against the Giants, but you never know. So that's all for now, folks. Uh, Have a good one, and uh, until next time, uh, enjoy the games, and uh, best of luck to everyone, and uh, thanks again for listening uh, uh, to the show over the years. Uh, thank you, and until next time, goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all other major outlets.